Max and Lauren Brockmeyer here, your missionaries um, with Convoy of Hope in Spain. We just want to send you a quick update. Partners over in Spain, as you heard, and thank you for your faithful giving to Mount Hope. Uh, tithes and offerings and faith promises go to support people like the Brockmeyers and over our 40 global outreach partners around the world that is serving the Lord uh, and bringing his hope to them. So thanks for your support there. We are in the book of Luke, as Pastor Marvin mentioned. If you want to turn to chapter 1, uh, we'll get to the text there in a few minutes together. In the ancient world, in between the port cities of Tyre and Sidon, there was a shabby little town that uh, no one really had heard of and of really no import to anyone really. It um, didn't really show up on many people's maps or radars. I mean, even to call it a town, it certainly wasn't a city, but even a town to call it was a little bit generous more of a village of sorts. Uh, and even when I call it a village, uh, it's, it's more like a, whatever you think of as a kind of podunk, backwards town. We all probably have those places in our minds, no matter where you're from, whether you're from here in the United States or, or you're from another, another country or part of the world, you, we all probably have those places of where we're from where we say, yeah, I know that town and I probably wouldn't want to live there. This was that town. Whatever that town is for you, and it's probably different for all of us, that when you think of it, you say, yeah, yeah, I know that's there, and, and I, don't, I wouldn't want to live there myself. That's this town. It's about 70 miles outside of Jerusalem, about 20 miles east of the Mediterranean and 50 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. Sits in the foot of the valley of the Lebanese mountain range that runs through that part of the world. No one really took note of it. It was near some trade routes, but not on the trade routes, so they were far enough away that nobody ever had to stop there. I mean, if you're picturing it in, in our day and age, I, you know, it, it's something like maybe you'd picture in those old Western movies where you just see kind of the, the wood front set up and it just feels like if a strong wind comes through, it's just going to blow it over and there'll be nothing left. And that was this town. But not much to it. Not much there. In fact, it was so obscure that the historians of the day never even mention it. The most uh, astute and well-known historian of the biblical times, Josephus, never even makes mention of this town. And before you get ahead of me too much and you think I'm talking about, oh, little town of Bethlehem, let me just stop you right there. I'm not even talking about Bethlehem. Bethlehem had it all over this town. I mean, even Bethlehem was mentioned in extra-biblical literature and was known. I mean, Bethlehem at least had a, a history and, and had some things in the past that had happened to it that made it of note, but not this town. Not Nazareth. Nazareth was a no-name, shabby, no-mention town of no import. In fact, up until the mid-20th century, Many scholars outside of the biblical world said it probably didn't even exist. 
because there was no mention of it outside of the biblical text, anywhere that anyone had ever seen. And so they thought it probably doesn't exist. It was probably either made up or some scribal error, confused with some other town, because there's no other evidence for it. Until 1962, when some archaeologists uncovered in Caesarea a reference to the town of Nazareth. And then they started to do some more digging and some more discovery. And then scholarship began to agree that, yes, a town called Nazareth, a village called Nazareth, did in fact exist in the time of Jesus. We, of course, know it because of it's the hometown. Hometown of a, a really young girl named Mary. And when I say young, we, probably, it's, we can't know for sure, but based on what we know about that time period and when the young people would get married and what would be going on, maybe 12 to 14 years old. And she had grown up like most young girls in a little small town at this time, probably illiterate, not much prospects for the future outside of this village. She'd just get up and help her mom in the morning, go get the water from the well, bring the water back to the, to the home and use that water to do the cooking and the washing and provide drinking water and everything else and then go to bed and get up in the morning and do it all again. And then one day, Heli comes by and Heli uh, offers to uh, have his son Joseph be the husband of Mary. He offers to pay a bride price, negotiates with Mary's father. But if you can imagine it, I mean, these small houses, there's no privacy, no, no, no rooms. You, feel, you hear your father and this other father going back and forth arguing about what it's going to cost to marry you off. What can he get for you? They argue and they settle on a price so that Joseph the carpenter can marry Mary. And then her path is set. I mean, the course for her life is set from that point. For the next year, she'll wait for Joseph to go and prepare a place where they can live and to verify that what Joseph's father is paying for is a pure bride who's not pregnant at the time, so they wait time. They wait a year, verify these things and to make it clear. And then after that year, Mary will marry Joseph and they'll live in Nazareth and he'll apply his trade as a carpenter and she'll continue to go to the well and fetch water and bring it back for her family and, and life will go on and that's the plan that's set forward. And to this young girl, in this obscure, no-name, shabby, backwards, podunk town, the angel Gabriel comes. And so when you understand the circumstances, no one is more surprised than Mary that an angel comes to Mary. I mean, who is she that an angel would come to her? 
And so the angel says to her, and, you know, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. In verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and to his kingdom there will be no end. Can you imagine Mary, these words being spoken to her, obscure, illiterate, 12, 13-year-old, an angel from heaven coming and declaring these words. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, in verse 34, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, also has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. In this account of this angel coming to Mary, we have a couple points that I think are relevant to us and important that we can learn from them. And one of them is this, that God often does great things for people who aren't great in this world. That God, the way God often works is he often does great things for people who aren't great in this world. I mean, we have our ways of measuring greatness, riches and possessions and power. We build resumes and CVs and, and put them out and show what we have done and who we are and how great we are. Mary had no resume. Mary had nothing that she can put forth and, and show how great she was. And yet, in this account, one thing we see is, and we must not miss, is who did God pass over? I mean, he didn't go to anybody in the seat of power in Rome. Could have. He didn't go to Caesar's household. Didn't have his son born in the, the, the palace. I mean, he did it with Moses. He had Moses brought into Pharaoh's palace and raised him there. That's the way he worked there. He could have done it here, but he didn't. He didn't go to Jerusalem where the religious elite were and have his son born into a nice, clean, respected Jewish household there. He went to this obscure teenage girl living in this no-name town that people would forget for nearly 2,000 years. And God often does great things through people who aren't considered great in this world. And you and I, uh, so if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, there's nothing much great about me, you're in a great spot. You're actually in great company. I mean, Mary's only one that we're looking at this morning. But if you look through the pages of Scripture, time and time and time again, it's the unexpected person. It's the person that the world has overlooked. It's the person that many had said, there's nothing great that's going to come from him or from her. That God often works a great plan through. 
And you and I can look at our lives and we can look and we can say, God, I don't have much going on here. There's not much to offer. God often does great things through people who aren't great in this world. But there was one thing that Mary had that I think God is always looking for. There was one thing that Mary had in her life that even in her very simple, very obscure life that she had, that God is always looking for if he's going to do something great through someone. Let's pick it up in verse 39 as Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. In verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then verse 39 says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah. Why did she do that? Because the angel just said, here's how you're going to know this is true. You know how, you know how this is true? Because your relative, Elizabeth, who is old and barren, and we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, she's pregnant. And so Mary runs, says with haste, to Elizabeth's house to see this thing that the God has done. Because if it's true about Elizabeth, then it's going to be true about her. So in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And now listen to verse 45. Listen to what Elizabeth says about Mary. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed what the Lord had spoken. In verse 38, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In verse 45, Elizabeth says, You're blessed. You're happy, you're joyful because you believed what God said. The one thing that Mary had that God is always looking for is someone who will believe him. The one thing that Mary had that was most remarkable about her was faith. Faith that God can and would do something that had never been heard of before in the world and still be able to say, let it be to me according to your word. It's the one thing that's so unique about Mary and the one thing that God is always looking for. I mean, think about the scene. These two women get together. Neither one of them should be pregnant. One of them is way too old. One of them is way too inexperienced. Never been with a man. And yet, here they are, both with child, because of what God has done. One of them connecting back to the past of what God had done before. Elizabeth looking back and saying, God had done this before for Sarah and for others in their old age and given them a child. But one of them looking forward to a new thing that God had never done before. And God was coming into the world 
both there with child. I mean, what Mary was asked to do is kind of like the old map makers. You know, it's, it's said, and it's a little bit of folklore. There's not a lot of evidence for it, though there is one globe that was found that has these words on it that cartographers, map makers in the ancient world, when they didn't know an area that hadn't been explored yet, that sometimes they would put on the map the expression, here be dragons. Because no one's been there. And it's dangerous. And if you go, you're going to have to be bold and courageous because we don't know what exists beyond this part of the map. So here be dragons. And in a sense, Gabriel and God is asking Mary to step off the map and go to a place where it's not filled in yet. No one's drawn that part of the map. No one's gone there before. No one's ever stepped out in this way. But Mary, God is calling you to believe and have faith. And the one thing Mary had was faith and belief that God could do what he said he could do. Because the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. What is it God is calling you to have faith in him for? What is it in your life that God has given you that you need to this morning respond and say, let it be to me as your word has said, that you need the heart of Mary? Because the truth is, when it comes to the story of Mary, I think some of us can say, I can't relate. I mean, how would you relate to that? She delivers the Son of God. If any of you came to me this morning after church and said, I think God is calling me to deliver his Savior, I'm going to refer you to the best Christian counselor I know. How can we relate to Mary? And to be true in our church tradition, we might say, well, there's some that have often made too much of Mary. They elevate her to the level of God. And they elevate her to divinity, which the scriptures don't do. But to be fair, there's some of us who have probably made too little of Mary. And we haven't paid enough attention to the servant God chose, who said, let it be to me according to your word. And where is it that you this morning need to say those words to God as well? Where is it that you need to step out in faith? Where is it that you, God, may be asking you to step off the map and to trust him in a way that you never have before? Because you don't have to wonder about the word God has given you. God has given you a word, not only in his entire scripture, but he has sent his word to earth in flesh to live among you. And the only question is, will you believe it? And will you follow? Because the truth is also that this little obscure town wasn't the only time that God came to this town. In fact, a number of years later, and the only other reference we really have in the scriptures to the town of Nazareth is the time when Jesus comes, when now he's older and he's beginning his ministry and he comes back to his hometown. It's one of the first places he comes to begin his ministry very early on. And he comes, but he finds something very different than the angel found. He doesn't come and find a, a spirit of faith that says, let it be to me as according to your word. He doesn't find a spirit of faith that says, I I'm going to trust you and, and believe you. What he finds is people that are skeptical. 
We're not going to read it, but if you were to go over to Luke chapter 4, you would find the story of Jesus starting his ministry. And he comes back to Nazareth and they say, we know you. You're Mary and Joseph's kid. We saw you grow up. You know what we want? We want you to do those miracles you did over at Capernaum. Do for us what you did for them. Just give us what we want. Jesus says that he prophet is not welcome in his own town. And it says in the scriptures that he could not do many miracles among them. In fact, he said, there'll be miracles that'll be done for those outside of you more than that will be done for you. And this made them really mad. In fact, they took him to the hillside and they tried to throw him off it and kill him. Because if he's not going to give them what they want, then what use do they have for him? Jesus came back to Nazareth, and he didn't find faith. He found rejection. He found a lack of belief. He found a people that didn't believe who he, he was, who he said he was. And they rejected him. And so these two responses of one town or people living in a town. And what response does God have when he gets to your town? What response will God find when he comes to your heart? When God comes to you and asks you to do something, or God comes to you and says, if you'll take me at your word, at my word, I'll take care of you. Will we find a response of faith that says, God, let it be to me according to your word? Or will we find a response of skepticism and doubt and rejection? The Christian life is a, Christ, is a life of faith. It's a walk of trust. It's a walk that in a time of COVID says, God, I don't understand everything that's going on. I don't get it. I don't know why you're not acting in a different way. I don't know why you haven't fixed things. I don't know why it's so hard. I don't know why I've lost my job. I don't know why, uh, you know, everything I've, I've hoped for hasn't come about yet and says, but God, I'm going to continue to trust you. And I'll continue to trust your word. And I'll continue to follow you. Because the Christian life is a life of faith and trust. What area of your life is God asking you to step out and step off the map and trust him with? A small example, I was thinking back in my life, just trying to think, okay, God, where recently has this happened with me? And I thought, you know, a few weeks back, I think this happened with me. I had few weeks back, I felt the, just a, and this is just my life, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and God saying to me, you know what, you have not been honoring the Sabbath like you're supposed to. Uh, you have not been resting from your work like you're supposed to. And I felt God convicting me and saying that I was to do that. And I said, oh, well, you know, Lord, I'll, I'll do that. Then I'll attempt to do that. So I said, you know, 24-hour period from couple weeks back, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and I said, no work. Not only no work that I get paid for, but no work around the house that I enjoy doing. No moving the ball forward on my to-do list anywhere. Just spending time with the people that God has placed in my life, and whatever their agenda is will become my agenda. 
And so Wendy got up in the morning and said she was going to Market Basket. And I said, I'll go with you. And she said, what? You never both go to the grocery store. Why would you have send two people to the grocery store? I said, well, I've got nothing else to do. But it's not about the Sabbath or the grocery store. What is it about? It's about I realized what Sabbath is is a step of faith and trust. It's to say, God, I'll cease from my work and I'll trust that you're still at work. It's a step to say, Lord, if I don't get what I think I need to get done today, Lord, I've got to preach a sermon tomorrow and I still feel like I need work to do on it. But saying, Lord, I'll trust you that you'll give me what the people need. Lord, I got things to do around the house that I'd really like to get done. But Lord, you provided the house. So I'll trust you that you'll do what needs to get done. Because the truth is, Lord, you've saved me. You've accomplished my salvation without any help from me. And you can do whatever else is needed without my help too. And for you, it's probably not Sabbath. It's, it's probably something else. But what I know is there's places in our life where God is always asking us to take a step of faith. Where God is always saying, will you step out and trust me? Will you say, let it be to me according to your word, to the Lord? Mary then, after this time, she sings this song and magnifies God. In verse 46, we pick it up. It says, and Mary said, and listen to her talk about how the humble have been recognized by God. How God does great things through people this world does not consider great. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And they have. 2,000 years later, we're still calling Mary blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their whole thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is Mary's message: that God does great things through people of great faith. In fact, you don't even need great faith; you just need the faith as small as a mustard seed. Jesus said, "But God does great things through people of faith." He's not looking for the one in the palace. He's not looking for the one who has lived the most impressive life, who has the biggest bank account, who has the best resume. He's just looking for a person who will step off the map and trust him in faith. That what he said in his word, what he said in his word to you is true. And so as our worship team comes back and as we close out our service, I want to pray for you. And they're going to sing a song that I want you to just stay seated for and listen to. Because it's a song that talks about contemplating the work of God. That the, the work of God that he's done in our life. Because I want you and I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will reveal to you what is it 
Where's the place in my life, Lord, that I need to step out in more faith? Where's the place in my life that I've been waiting for you to color in the map before I take the step? <laughs> Some of you remember, it's an old movie, but it's worth the reference. The old Indiana Jones, Last Crusade movie. Remember, if you've seen it, the step of faith he takes. It's called the step of, he has to step out. And when he does, he falls down on that really thin platform in front of him. And then he gets on the other side and he throws the sand out. And you can see it. Why he didn't throw the sand first, I don't know. But it's a good picture of what God's asking you to do. That's what faith is. To live the way God has called you to live. And trust that God is at work in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Mary. Lord, thank you for her story. Thank you for her heart. That even though she wasn't born in a great town or to any great family, or that God, you looked down on her estate and you showed favor to her. And you loved her and you used her. And Lord, that's encouraging to us that you see us no matter where we are. And you love us and you can use us. Lord, I don't know everyone in this room, but you know everyone's heart. And you know where we're at. And I believe your Holy Spirit is speaking to each and every one of us. And there are places where we need to just step out of faith. There are people in this room who have never trusted you as their Savior. And this morning... The step of faith you're asking for them is, will you trust me? Will you trust that I am Lord? Will you trust that I did, that if you put your faith in me, that I not only will lead you, but I will save your soul and you will be forever forgiven and saved and have life for eternity. There are people in this room, Lord, that you're asking me to take a step. Lord, in their life, in their schedule, in their jobs, in their work situation. Maybe you're asking them to take a step away from something that has been a security for them for so long. And you're asking them to take a step of faith. And you're asking them to trust you. There are some, Lord, who need to trust you through health situations, financial situations, or whatever it is. I'm just asking that your Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts now. And show us those places where we need to step out in faith for you. In Jesus' name, amen.